Um, we're going to start, open your books, Bibles to Acts chapter 13. We're going to look at 13 and 14, dealing with Paul's first missionary journey. And our key thought for the morning, Paul and Barnabas are going to show us how to be effective witnesses and faithful servants. That sounded good now. All right. Um, we're not trying to lift up Paul um, here, but Paul is being our example. And um, a lot of times we do that with our leaders or people in the Bible, and we think, oh, I need to be just like that. So when I'm bringing out Paul, um, he was just an example for us. The focus is on God. What God does, it's, it's, Jim says all the time, it's about God, all about God, always about God. And that's what we're doing. Uh, we're going to focus on that through this missionary journey, what Paul and Barnabas do here. And um, we're going to start looking at Acts 13. Verse 1, now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Um, when we start right here, we have a significant shift in the book of Acts. Um, you're dealing with Jerusalem and the apostles and, and the reaching out of the Jews all around that region. And we significantly shift right here because now the focus starts in Antioch and it moves out from there. So we have a shift in, in where the book of Acts is, is uh, um, teaching here. And what says prophets and teachers, a uh, prophet is someone who um, receives a word directly from God and shares it. Teacher is someone who interprets the word of God and shares it. And um, as of right this point in the New Testament, there is no New Testament. Um, there's no books and letters that have been written. So it gives us this who's who of uh, teachers that are listed in Antioch. And uh, it was a really powerful list. And in, whenever you see a list of any names, um, it always lists the more prominent, the more important, the, those that, that were of greater influence, starting at the beginning and down from there. So when it starts, it starts with Barnabas, as, as Jim talked about last week. Barnabas was very influential. Uh, Saul wouldn't have been gotten very far without Barnabas walking along and saying, hey, he's okay. And so he, people took him at his word. He was very influential in the early church. And um, when this church started, the Bible says er, earlier in Acts um, 11, I think, it says they were first called Christians at Antioch. And so something was happening there. And the church in Jerusalem, they sent Barnabas up to say, see what was going on. He said, yeah, it's real. It's happening. Things are growing. People are getting saved. So Barnabas was very influential. Uh, then it lists um, Simeon, who was called Niger. Niger just means black. Um, many theologians think this was the same Simon who carried the cross for Jesus. Um, Lucius of Cyrene um, saw several commentators that said this guy was one of the founders of the church here at Antioch. These, these were major players, and these were the prophets and teachers. Menaean. Who, was, who had been brought up. That brought up means raised with Herod the Tetrarch. Herod the Tetrarch um, is the same Herod that stood there the night before Jesus' crucifixion. Jesus stood before him. He's the same Herod that had John the Baptist's head cut off. Menaean was raised with him. Very influential man. They clearly went two different directions. Um, and then it says, sort of as an afterthought, oh, yeah, and there's this guy, Saul. Um, the least influential of them. 
It continues in verse 2. As they ministered the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Immediately, um, there's something, there's a burden on the hearts of those that are in Antioch. And they're fasting and they're praying and they're looking for an answer. And God answers it here. But while they're doing that, um, a phrase that, that Jim used last week, and he's used several times in the past, there was still work to be done. They were burdened about something that they wanted to see done, but they didn't stop. It says they continued to minister. They continued to do what God was having them do right then and there until they got the word. We don't know how long they fasted and prayed looking for an answer, but the phrase that Jim keeps using all the time is they were holding on to the rope. They were keeping it going. They weren't letting go. They knew things had to be done, and they didn't just stop. A lot of us, I mean, I've been guilty of this. Something gets burdened on your heart, and you want to stop everything until you can find that answer. And they were continuing to do what God was having them do. And the Holy Spirit answers, and it says, Now separate to me, and that simply means to set aside for a purpose. There's a purpose where I want you to separate these two men for the work to which I have called them. See, if it had been the choice of the church in Antioch, Saul probably wouldn't have been their choice. He wasn't the top of the list. It was God's calling. And these men and women of faith uh, trusted God and they went forward with what God had, uh, God had uh, planned here. In uh, verse 3 it says, Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they, s- they sent them away. Now, they've had an answer. They're f- the fasting, the praying for this is over. And that's where I want to dwell for just a quick second because this is, this is kind of personal to me. Um, they laid hands on them. Three years ago, God called our family to go to Israel. We went for two months. Nothing like what Paul's doing here. He's going to be gone for a year. That's how long this first trip. We think it goes. He's there for a day. He's gone a year. And these people came by and they said, we, it says they laid hands on them. And that is purely for the benefit of Paul and Barnabas. Yeah. <laughs> Paul and Barnabas. It's purely for their benefit. It's, no power is being given. They already have the Holy Spirit. Nothing new needs to be done. It's a, I can tell you from personal experience, it's extremely encouraging. It's empowering. It, it really does something to, to encourage you when that happens. Um, it's also a reminder. Because when we went through some hard times... Um, during that time, there were some things that we struggled with while we were over there. And God would always bring this back. And he'd remind us. So when we were doing this, when hands were laid on, what you're saying is, I got your back. We're going to pray for you. We're going to hold on to the rope. We're not letting go. And this was given to us at that time, and we kept it as a reminder of that. Um, They were saying the same thing to Paul. And he went through much harder times than I did or we did during this trip. And I know God brought back to his mind, look, there's people back home. They're praying for you. They're still holding on to that rope. So that's what they did to encourage them. Excuse me, it's very personal to me, as you can see. Now we're going to get into the the mission itself. The map in the back, we're just going to leave that up. You want to look at it any time. It tells you, shows you the route. The red is the one, how they started and they went out, and the blue is the one coming back. So they start up, up on the right side, big yellow dot 
called Antioch, and that's where they go. And that's where we're going to follow right now. And I want you to see your theme through almost this entire trip that goes over and over and over again. First, the word is preached. Then the spirit or, or God moves. And then opposition arises. And it happens again and again, the same thing over and over. Verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. And from there they sailed to Cyprus. This was the home of Barnabas. When they arrived, Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they also had John as their assistant. A couple quick things. Um, They get... The first thing they do is, is they say, well, Paul's, he's the missionary of the Gentiles, right? Why'd they go to the Jews? But Paul always did that. He always believed in Romans 1.16, which he wrote much later. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for his power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And wherever there were Jews located, he would go to them. And you see it over and over again. Even after he says later in the passage, you'll see him saying, Okay, I'm done. I've had enough. I'm going to go to the Gentiles. You rejected Christ too often. That's it. The very next city, first thing he does is he goes to the synagogue and he preaches to the Jews. Because he always had a heart for his people. And it never left him. And it says, John, he was an assistant. That word assistant is translated elsewhere as teacher or one who disciples. And as they're going and preaching and winning souls... Many of you in here understand and know how important it is for a brand new believer, for someone to come alongside and say, okay, now here's what you do next. Because the biggest majority of the time, you just get them saved and you go on, they're back doing exactly what they were doing before, living exactly the way they were before, doing things that um, not much changes. So John's role here, he's he's just going to be their assistant. He's going to do a little discipling, a little working with new converts. Um, we come and starting in verse 6 um, they're now going on, on to the uh, they're on the island of Cyprus they've moved all the way across the next few verses they move across the, the island uh, from east to west preaching as they go and the proconsul, the governor the one that the Roman senate has set over this, this island here this nation he's heard what they've been doing what they've been saying and he wants to hear from them and one of his friends or counselors, I'm not sure which, that was with him, was this sorcerer that's mentioned in here, this false prophet. And so he says, I, I want to hear the word. And so Paul and Barnabas, they go and they share the word of God. And he starts to get convicted. Um, down in verse, verse 8 says, Elemas the sorcerer, for so his name's translated, withstood them, Seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. You can't turn him away from something he hasn't already turned to. So the Lord is convicting him. And he's touching his heart. And after the, God moves, after the word is spoken and God moves, opposition arises. And here he is and he's, say, he's trying to tell him things that's not so. Um, message and work of God is all, never goes unopposed. When you're doing what God has called you to do, there's going to be opposition. I wrote, put a quote in here from Spurgeon, a great preacher of years past, 
Wherever there is likely to be great success, the open door and the opposing adversaries will both be found. If there are no adversaries, you may fear that there will be no success. So Saul here, Paul, gets a little opposition. Someone tries to turn him away from the faith. Through the next few years, verses, God uses Paul and, and he does something to him that it blinds him, blinds a sorcerer. And the result, verse, go down to verse 12, says, Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. It was the word of God. It's saying that's the emphasis here. It's not the miracle that occurred. It's the word of God. It's the word of God that changes us. It's the word of God that saves us. And that's their focus. Then we have a brand new shift in this whole missionary trip. We've just gone across the sea to the island, across the island, and now we're moving northward. And it says, no longer does it say Barnabas and Saul. It says now Paul and his party. There's a distinct change in leadership going on here. And Paul's now leading the group. They've gone through Barnabas' home, and they head up to Perga. Um, it says, uh, they set sail from Paphros. They came to Perga and Pam- Pamphylia. And John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. He quit. He gave up. And this was a matter of great contention between Paul and Barnabas. Because in the second journey, they're ready to go again. And Barnabas says, yeah, well, let's, let's, let's take John. He goes, no, he quit once. Forget it. And so they went their separate ways over this. But we see that God still used him greatly. Because later he's writing to Timothy and he says, when you come, bring John. I could use him. Reconciliation had occurred. You want to know how useful he was? He wrote part of our Bible. And it's not what you think. Tell me what he wrote. Mark. Yeah, his name was John Mark. And he wrote Mark. The Gospel of Mark. So God really used him and, and brought him back, reconciled him. So they go from Perga. You see the map? They go from Perga all the way up to um, Antioch. And this is a different Antioch than where they started. Um, what goes on here is, well, first of all, why John Mark leave? Um, we don't really know. A lot of speculation, a lot of theories, um, a lot of theology. Theologians don't agree. Barnabas was his cousin. Maybe it was, you know, the politics of the whole thing. Christian politics is a terrible thing. If you get involved in it, you'd understand. Um, It's rough. And now his cousin's not leading. Um, Maybe it was the territory. Perga is surrounded by swamps, heavily infested by mosquitoes. They're going to have to traverse the swamps. They're going to have to go over the mountains before they get to the direction that they're going. Um, terrible area because this area wasn't one that Rome had a lot of trouble with they didn't have a lot of soldiers in this area so the roads constantly inhabited by robbers and and killers and and trying to prey on on weak little groups that were going through the area it's a dangerous area Paul writes later to the Galatians and the four churches we're talking about at at the top is where the book of Galatians was written to these churches and he said when he was writing to them he says you remember when I came to you, how sickly I was. And several theologians believe that he, he may have contracted something, maybe malaria. One proposed that he had malaria through this uh, mosquito-infested area. But he was sick through the entire time he was going through there. Um, that kind of takes away our excuse, doesn't it, Jim? <laughs> um, 
we've been suffering through some different things lately. Woe is me and all that stuff. Well, he had something that was really troubling him. And um, um, maybe he got discouraged from that. We don't know. But he quit. And God later restored him. And he goes up first to Antioch. Um, And that starts down about verse 14. He goes down to Antioch. He goes to the synagogue. And he preaches. Um, The thing is, in most synagogues at this time, there wasn't some rabbi that ruled over it. Um, It was somebody more like a facilitator who would come in. They would pray. They'd read from the, the law. They'd read from the prophets. And then he would just appoint somebody to speak. And if they had visitors coming in and they appeared to know something about God or the Word of God, somebody different. Our, our church is the same way. We respond differently to somebody new coming in. And then have them speak. And they said, Paul, would you like to speak? He said, okay, sure. And he goes through this long dissertation about the history of Israel and the prophecies that all pointed towards Christ and how the Messiah was going to come. And he did. And how he was going to die. And he did. And how he was going to be raised again. And he did. And he said, this, this Messiah came. And people saw him. And I saw him. And he died because he had to. Because not only the Jews, but the Gentiles. And many were in this congregation. They, we need a Savior. We're sinners. And we needed somebody to reconcile to us to God. So he gives this long dissertation. Brings us all the way down to verse uh, 43. And he says, Now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them, persuading them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. People got saved. Um, Paul preaches. Word is spoken. The Spirit moves. People got saved. What comes next? Opposition. Verse 45. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming. They opposed the things spoken by Paul. There's your opposition. The next verse is the one I talked about um, that the Jews were rejecting. Some did not. Some opposed him. But they do this. The Gentiles, the Jewish believers, they're all excited, thrilled about what's going on. And it says, verse 49, And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. Okay, I'm moving, moving pretty quick. I want to do something a little quickly, and, and hopefully this will work. Anybody who has ever uh, been saved directly or indirectly through someone at this church, can you stand? Is there anybody here like that? I know of a few people, but I'm not sure they're in here. Okay, anybody who's ever been told about what's going on at this church and is here responsible from somebody like that or heard indirectly from someone from this church whether they're here members here now or or were members can you stand okay anybody who heard about what God was doing here and you wanted what maybe it wasn't somebody from this church keep standing um you heard about what was going on in this church and you wanted to see what was going on you knew God was having a part in this can you stand Now, of all you people, if any of you that are standing or are here directly or indirectly because of the pastoral staff, 
I want you to remain standing. The rest of you sit down. What just happened? This says in verse 49, and the word of the Lord was, was being spread throughout the, all, all the region. You can sit down. Thank you. <laughs> that means people were hearing the word of God, and they were sharing it with others who were sharing it with others. It's the exact same thing that's happening in this church. That's why we're growing. It's because people in this church, you people, are being witnesses. You're doing what God's wanting you to do, to tell people. And that's awesome. It says, but the Jews stirred up the devout. Verse 50 says, and Theon expelled them from their region. The, to say expelled, it doesn't mean you guys need to get out. Stand up for me. It says they physically took them and they said you got to leave we're not just trusting you to leave you're leaving and that's it you can't come back <laughs> it was a physical thing and they said you're out of here so their response in verse 51 was and they hung, hung their heads low, ashamed at what, that God did not allow them to do the work that he called them to do and went back home. Right? No. It says, but they shook off the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium. When you're doing the work of God, there's going to be opposition. We've said that. But we can't let the opposition deter us or stop us. When we went to Israel, uh, some of you have seen or read... Uh, some of the things that we got, some of our letters. Um, uh, those letters I shared, Jim, were they pleasant and encouraging? And No? How would you describe them? <laughs> yeah, they were very discouraging. They were very hurtful. They were uh, challenging us, telling us that we were trying to ask, beg money to go on our personal vacation. They were telling us that we were terrible parents because we were taking our children into such a dangerous situation. And, and by the words of it, I mean, it initially depressed us. We, we thought they were going to call social workers on us and, and have them come out and s- s- take our kids away or something. I mean, it was, it was nasty. Uh, opposition hurts. Um, that's just the way it is. Um, but we need to realize that when we're doing God's will, it's going ha- to happen. And we need to shake it off, just like they did. Um, Jesus said, Luke 9 and 10 both, said, look, when this happens, just shake the dust off. Just let it go and move on. It says in verse 52, which is really cool, the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Um, Because they got to this new city, right? No. James 1, 2, which for years I didn't, quite get says count it joy when you fall into different trials or tribulations and they experienced joy because they were doing what God wanted to do they were filled with the spirit and they knew they were on the right track this was confirmation you're going the right way look at all the opposition you're getting 
So now they go up to Iconium. Now we're going to move kind of fast. It happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke, the word is spoken, that a great multitude both of the Jews and of the Greeks believed, spirits moving, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and opposition arises. Same pattern over and over and over again. So they, they go to here. People are getting saved. There's opposition. They stay for a while, um, emboldened by it, by this opposition. Of course, the new converts understand for them too. And uh, they get word that, down in the passage a little farther, they get word that um, um, they're planning on stoning them. You got, your guys' lives are in danger. So Paul's experienced this before. You just get out. There's no reason to... to die unnecessarily there's a lot of work to do there's a lot to get done not looking to be martyrs and um, so they leave and they go over to Lystra the next place in the in the list and while they're in Lystra Lystra excuse me they're preaching the word people are getting saved and in fact opposition will come in all kinds of different ways Uh, people may attack you directly sometimes if if the enemy can't stop it he may try to dilute the word or change the word. And so they're in Lystra. There's a crippled man there, and he's believing. And, they, and Paul, God through Paul, heals this man. Now, this is a place with no Jews in it. Lystra, biblically, historically, archaeologically, no history of Jews living there. This is predominantly Greek people. And they see this man raised to life. And they immediately conclude, these guys are gods. And they want to worship them, and they want to sacrifice animals to them. And the Jews that were giving them such a hard time in the previous two cities, they've managed to follow over here. No Jews in the city, but they rile up the other people. And while they're trying to convince them they're not, they're not gods, the, other guy in the, pro- the others in the process, they're, they're enemies, they convince them. They're not gods, they're frauds. And so they take and they get the multitude riled up and they literally stone Paul. Um, Verse 19. Then the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul, they dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. And the next verse says, you know, here's the disciples gathered around Paul. He's laying there dead. Um, There's speculation on this, a little argument about whether he actually died or not. Um, I know one thing, when he wrote to the Galatians uh, much later and and was encouraging the churches, um, he said, uh, I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. And whether he died or not, I don't know, but getting hit by a bunch of stones is going to leave a mark. Um, so it reminded them of that time. I think he was done. My first thought when I heard this was, God, you're working. The word's going out. People are believing. People are growing. People are getting saved. Why'd you let this happen? And I've come up with three answers, or maybe more. One was for Paul, because not too long ago, a few years ago, he was at another stoning. Y'all remember that one? Stephen. Yeah, but he was on the other side. You think this came to mind while he was being stoned? (laughs) I think God did this for his benefit 
saying these people are no different than you. Sometimes we want to get righteous indignation because sinners are acting like sinners. I said, Paul, that was just you. They still don't know me. They, don't still, they still don't know that I love them and I died for them. And so um, I think it was for Paul's benefit. I think it encouraged him, strengthened him. From this point on, the rest of this missionary journey, they go on to Derby and all the way back through these cities that persecuted them. And not once do we see any more opposition. But what are you going to do if somebody dies and they come back to life? What do you do from there? <laughs> what more can you do? <laughs> um, the guy just gets up in the next verse and walks into the city. Um, I think it was for the benefit of, of the disciples, the um, different workers. Barnabas was the only one traveling with him, right? We don't know. But it says all the disciples were all around him. Can you imagine their thoughts as they're just standing there and here's Paul who's been leading them boldly and he's dead or they think he's dead? How discouraging that is. I just pictured them standing there going, well, I guess it's over. Oh, no, it's not. What just happened? Imagine how encouraging that is to say, we're on the right side. God is really on our side here. We're doing what's supposed to be done and God is blessing it. Man, they were encouraged. They were strengthened. They were, they were really emboldened by this. Someone's not mentioned here that I think was really emboldened by this. Someone that grew up in Lystra. Someone that's probably made a great impact that Paul witnessed to and led to the Lord. Someone that Paul later called my son in the faith. Yeah, Timothy. Timothy was from Lystra. <coughs> And Timothy later traveled on some of Paul's adventures. He later pastored some churches. It changed his life. I, I'm sorry to break through, but I need to ask what time I need to finish to do the other thing. Okay. All right, they move on. Um, they preach in Derby. God blesses, and they go back through each and every one of these cities. And in verse 22, here's, here's the reason. Paul's, um, Luke writes, Strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them, continuing the faith, and saying, We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. 2 Timothy 3.12, Paul tells Timothy later, he says, Look, if you're going live to live a God-led kind of life, there's going to be persecution. If God is going to lead you, you need to expect it. It's going to happen. And he was telling people this to encourage them. He goes back through all of them. We come to the end of the chapter. And he comes back to his church. Verse 27. He says, Now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them. Or God, all that God had done. Yeah, all that God had done with them. And that he, God, had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples. See, they... They were faithful in telling people the good news and going out and giving the gospel. But that wasn't all of it. They were discipling. They were encouraging. They were building up the church of God. And that's what evangelism is. We get this warped view that to be an evangelist, we need to go out on some street corner and proclaim the word of God. But it's much more than that. Evangelism, the purpose of evangelism is, evangelism is to build up 
God's church, Christ's church. It's not for your reputation. It's not to say how many people I led to the Lord, how many churches I started, how many people. It's about God. It's about Christ. It's about His church. And Paul, through his entire ministry, never forgot this. Never. In Philippians, he wrote this book, this letter, while he was in prison. Anticipating the end of his life. Thinking, imagine all the time he had to sit and think. Regrets. Not Paul. He still was focused as he was when he got saved. When he said, God, now what, what would you have me to do? And in writing this letter to Philippians, he wrote this passage. I think it's in your notes. It says, um, here's my desire, my heart, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. He never wavered from that. No regrets. So what's that got to do with us? Well, first, the point of the lesson God is still looking for witnesses today um, and by the people that were standing. He's getting them. God is still looking for those who will lift him above themselves. God is still looking for obedience without excuse or regret. Um, Paul's this example for us in this passage. And... um, we need to do that. So what do I do personally with it? You be a witness. Can keep on keeping on. Don't stop. Don't quit. Tell others what God is doing in your life, the life of your church, the life of people around you that you know and care for. Sincerely ask, God, what would you have me to do? Just like Paul. That's the selfless attitude. That's the willingness to put God first. And then you be a Paul. No excuses, no complaints. No matter the sacrifice, the cost. I see great parallels between our church and the church at Antioch. It started, Gary comes in and he starts laying a foundation. And this is it, the word of God. And we are still many talented men and women teaching great foundational truths and we've expanded we're doing the Stewart Heights University on Wednesday nights all kinds of good stuff being taught and then God moves and God grows just like he did at Antioch and we've seen that I've been here for 15 years and there weren't a lot of us 15 years ago one location And we weren't even using the auditorium all the time because we didn't have enough to fill it. We used a little meeting, the former auditorium, because on Sunday and Wednesday nights, because there were just no people coming. We were excited when one, uh, um, 14 years, 13 years, I don't remember how long ago, quite a while ago, when one Wednesday night we reached 100. Whoa, that was exciting! And we do, what, most of the time, three, four hundred? At least? Four? Yeah. Um, God's growing. I don't think it's stopping. I don't think God's done with this. I think the next step is God's going to call some Pauls out of this congregation. 
God's going to do something. Um, me, I'm hoping I'm one. How many of you want to be a Paul? 